Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blog Talk Radio. Day, hence the introduction music. Uh, TJ, happy Back to the Future Day, and happy Spittoon Week to you. Yes, yes, happy Spittoon Week to you as well. doesn't always feel like, well, it feels like a rivalry about as much as the Colts-Patriots does. You know, occasionally you have to beat them for them to consider you a rival, but hopefully sometime soon I, you can get back to making this a legitimate rivalry. Yeah, they've played uh, every year, or not every year, but they've played for the Spittoon since 1950. IU has only won it 12 times. Uh, before the Spittoon, IU was 3-0-1 against Michigan State. Uh, so you wish that they would have played for the Spittoon before that. But anyway, uh, we're upbeat. It's another college football Saturday. I have put the uh, I have put the Rutgers loss behind me after watching the Colts on Sunday night run that cockamamie, uh, fake punt, uh, you know, bad things happen. So, uh, anyway, TJ, let's dive into Michigan State. They're ranked, I believe, uh, five, fifth in one poll, seven in the other. Um, and they have a very stout team. They're in play after last week's craziness uh, still for the Big Ten East Championship. Uh, I didn't read the article, but apparently there is – some kind of crazy tiebreaker for the Big Ten East if it ends up that way. Uh, so Michigan State has a lot to play for uh, against Indiana this week. Yeah, they, they absolutely do have a lot to play for. Um, like you said, they're still in the running for a Big Ten East title. They are still in the running for a college football playoff spot. I know that their marquee win or what they planned on being their marquee win uh, the non-conference against Oregon does not look near as impressive now as we thought it would, but still, you know, that, that showed the committee that they were ambitious about scheduling. I think they'll get rewarded points for that uh, if they're able to stay in the race for a playoff spot. You know, you have to figure that the Big Ten is going to get one team into that playoff based on what it's looking like right now. Um, so Michigan State, you know, and Ohio State and – guess 
I guess you could say Michigan if things completely go haywire. Um, you could have a two-loss Michigan team maybe sneak in there. But, you know, so Michigan State is vying to be one of those uh, one of those four teams in that college football playoff. Their first goal, of course, is going to be to win the Big Ten East, and to do that they need to avoid slipping up against IU. They're not the only team with a lot to play for, though. Uh, you know, the Hoosiers have lost three in a row. Um, we are all aware of what has kind of transpired over these last three weeks. It's been a really three very different games. Um, you know, Ohio State, they lost, but you felt good about things. Penn State, they lost, but you said, well, it was ugly, but, you know, a ton of injuries, and that's going to happen when you have a ton of injuries and don't play all that well. And then Rutgers, uh, you know, we've said all that we can and thought all that we want to about that one. So uh, IU needs to, at the very least, they need to go out, put together a solid I – would, I would really like to see a consistent – performance um what we've seen so far this year has been every game has featured quarters where iu has looked really really good every game has also featured at least a quarter where iu has looked really bad and then it's featured some mediocre or some mediocre play uh in between those spurts of good and bad so and a lot of teams are like that IU's not unique in that but i feel like indiana is a bit more um I guess you could say bipolar than most. And I would really like to see them put together a solid, consistent 60 minutes. I certainly am not expecting a victory, but I think it's going to be very interesting to see, and we talked about this on Monday, to see how this team mentally uh, gets themselves into it this, this week in practice. We're not going to see that, but we will see the results of this week's practice on the field on Saturday. If they come out and lay a total egg, I think it's safe to say that, you know, last Saturday was a crippling, uh, crippling mental thing for this for this team, and they're going to really struggle the rest of the season to produce anything looking like a good team. But if they can go out on Saturday, be competitive, show good effort, show good fight, you know, I can throw in some more cliches, Chuck Briano style, grit, uh, character, all that type of stuff. But everybody knows what I'm talking about. If they can put together a, a solid 60 minutes, I'll feel a lot better about them moving forward, but both teams with a lot to play for, and then of course, like you said, the old brass platoon, um, you know, I, I don't know if Michigan State regards that with any type of uh, acclaim, but it would be really, really nice to, to capture a trophy back and have two in the trophy case at the same time. Yeah, uh, they do, uh, Michigan State does keep it in a trophy case. It's behind a glass uh, lock thing, so so they do treasure it, I guess, um, if, if that means anything. Uh, but we're also going to bring in Nick Holmes here in in a few minutes uh, or right now uh, to go over some numbers. Um, Nick does our weekly numbers that matter piece. Uh, they're always great, uh, and, yeah. and numbers are the name of the game. Besides just the uh, numbers in the score column at the end of the game. Uh, Nick, what are some numbers that uh, have st- stood out to you for uh, for this matchup this week? Uh, there, there's quite a few, but I think the first one that, that stood out to me more than any other, and we, we alluded to this on Monday evening, and I actually was wrong about the outcome against uh, Purdue, um, but they beat Purdue by just three points, followed that up with a seven-point win over Rutgers, and then, you know, by the grace of – 
the almighty. They, uh, they only won uh, by four over the Wolverines. So right now their average win margin in the Big Ten is just 4.67 points per game. And then if you factor in their only other game against a Power 5 opponent, Oregon, they only beat them by three points. So it's not like they're they're beating their opponents into submission. Now, that doesn't mean that that they won't come into this game looking to prove a point. Maybe uh, maybe they realize there's some doubters out there. They're looking to, uh, to flex their muscles maybe. Um, but that's that's the very first thing that stood out to me. Yeah, they're 7-0, and but when they're playing quality opponents, they're not beating them down. Well, yeah, they, they didn't yeah. really beat down their any of their non-conference foes. Uh, they were outgained heading into that Michigan game. They were outgained in three of their six contests uh, yardage-wise, and a couple of those were not particularly close. I mean, they were uh, they were outgained by a significant margin in a couple of those uh, a couple of those wins, which you know speaks to their resourcefulness uh, to to find a way to get a win when perhaps they haven't played their best. But it also does speak to some vulnerability that, uh, you know, they, they are 7-0. They're a top-10 team. They deserve that ranking. They've earned it. But, you know, this is not – so far, this has not been some unstoppable juggernaut um, mm-hmm. that has, like you said, that's been obliterating their opponents. They they really haven't done that all season. Um, and that, that kind of stood out to me when I was studying, uh, studying the Spartans for that game against Michigan was that the numbers really don't – speak too kindly for them and that's why in kind of the advanced stats uh, S&P plus or the football outsiders they are not considered a top 10 team in those advanced stats rankings mainly due to their underlying uh, yardage numbers that they they really haven't been too impressive there yeah and and they are dealing with some injuries uh, that's a caveat they are missing uh, one of their best linebackers uh, and they've been missing some linemen I think both uh, Jack Conklin and Jack Allen have been missing time. TJ, do you know if they're going to be back this week? Uh, that is up in the air. Um, I believe that they're expecting uh, Jack Conklin to be back. I, they have not released anything this week about whether or not they're practicing. Much like Indiana, they are, are pretty uh, pretty tight-lipped about injuries, understandably so. But, yeah, the both of the Jacks, Allen and Conklin, have both missed time. Uh, and that, you know, to, to put that into context for Indiana fans, that would be similar to uh, Spriggs and Dan Feeney missing time for Indiana. So, um, you know, the, the depth on the O-line might be slightly better for Michigan State than it is for IU. But, you know, those are, those are two big losses that have impacted their offense. It's a, it's a fair point to consider. Oh, yeah, and it just looks like this this Michigan State team just isn't as good, even though they have Connor Cook. It's kind of, you know, the opposite. I was uh, re-watching the first half of the Oregon game last week, and both teams scored, I believe, on their opening drives. And they had um, Michigan State went 70-something yards in three plays, and Oregon went 70-something uh, yards in, in 13 plays. Uh, but when you think about these two programs, uh, it's normally the 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 other way around. So this might not be uh, the the Michigan State team of of yesteryear, uh, but they're still a very good team. Connor Cook is uh, scary uh, scary efficient 
Uh, he's completed 116 of 202 passes uh, for just over 1,600 yards, uh, 13 uh, touchdowns to two interceptions radio, ratio. So uh, he's the guy that Indiana has to shut down. Uh, they have some excellent receivers. Aaron Burbridge is having a terrific year, 702 uh, receiving yards and four touchdowns. Uh, Josiah Price, who killed IU last year, is an Indiana kid, uh, is another weapon. Uh, Majeric Kings is another weapon. But their run game isn't as good as it used to be. So it's kind of a different feel to this uh, Michigan State team, if if I uh, I'll put that out there like that. Yeah, you're uh, you're spot on about Burbridge. That was another thing that – that I had picked up on. He's had five games where he's went over, went over 100 yards receiving. So Fant and company will definitely have their hands full. And granted, he's not nearly as explosive as Carew, um, as Carew has had scored six touchdowns over his last two games. But he's he's definitely one of uh, Cook's favorite targets. Um, and you alluded to the rushing attack of uh, Michigan State not being quite where it had been in, in yesteryear. Um, right now they're averaging 156 yards, 157 yards on the ground per game, a little over four yards per rush. Um, that's 84th best in the nation yards per game at 157. For comparison's sake, I use it 195, um, just just a, just around 4.2 yards per carry, and they're 40th in the nation. So um, yards per carry is pretty similar, but like you said, um, they don't seem to be relying on the run game. Um, TJ, you had talked about this team's resourcefulness, and I think it's more than anything. Just they don't shoot themselves in the foot. Um, mm-hmm. They've only turned the ball over three times this year so far, um, which is fourth best in the nation. And then um, as far as uh, penalties, they've only been penalized um, 37 yards per game, which is eighth best in the nation. So right there, that just shows you that you know this is a well, this is a di- disciplined team that you know, maybe not um, as explosive or as dominant. But uh, like we said, in close games, they're not going to beat themselves. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a really good point. I just I'll throw in something on Aaron Burbridge. Um, he's had more than twice the number of targets that anyone else on that team has. Um, Garrett Kings is second in targets, but um, it – it's definitely very clear that uh, Aaron Burbridge is, is his go-to guy. Uh, I'm trying to 73, 73 targets for Burbridge Kings Jr. Second with 35. So um, that gives you a pretty clear indication. And I, I'll ask you guys this: I had some problems with the way that Indiana chose to attempt to cover Leonte Carew. Uh, I thought the Richard Fant did a pretty good job when he was given the chance, but instead, of, and you'll see some teams do this. Some teams just have it schematically where they are not going to switch guys' sides of the field. They're going to stick Fant on one side and stick, in this case, it was Andre Brown Jr. for most of the game on the other side. Uh, they're not going to have a shadow or receiver. I, I really thought that IU should have had Richard Fant shadowing Leonte Carew. And they did a tad bit. It's not like they just stuck Fant on one side and stuck him there forever. But uh, for the most part, they did not have Fant shadowing Leonte Carew. I thought it burned them. Um, and I, I'm wondering if you guys are expecting or hoping to see 
Richard Fant get the assignment of shadowing Aaron Burbridge, uh, or if you think it'll be similar to what we saw last week in terms of scheme? Um, hopefully, you know, they figure it out. I, I do agree with you that it was a mistake uh, putting, you know, not switching Fant. If you're going to have a corner that leads the, the nation or, or leads the Big Ten in pass breakups, um, you got to use him. Uh, otherwise, you're going to take him out of the game guarding some other guys. Like, who cares if he shut down Rutgers' number two receiver? It's not a big deal. The guy who's going to kill you, who, who you can't let beat you, was Laurente Carew. Now, you know, Aaron Burbridge is, is 6'1". He's a bigger receiver than, than Carew, I believe. He's 6'1", uh, 208. And, you know, yep. you have Majeric Kings, who's 5'10", 192. So you've got to look at it as a, as a physicality uh, matchup as well. Is uh, Burbridge going to beat up on Fant, who's a, a smaller, you know, thinner corner? Um, or, you know, or do you put uh, Fant on Majeric Kings, who's 5'10", 192, and maybe create a matchup, uh, you know, uh, advantage there for, for IU's defense or you know, do you put your best guy on their best guy? You know, it, it, I don't know what they're going to do. They don't like to switch that field, uh, that field corner a lot. Uh, Nick probably is, has more knowledge on on that than I do. Uh, what do you What do you see from that, Nick? Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think there's a desire to to keep Fant on the uh, on the on the field side because uh, his support against a run, I guess, historically hasn't been as strong as the other corners, but. The last couple of weeks, he's he's gotten in there and he's he's like some uh, like some licks on some uh, opposing offensive players. I guess yep. that's just the biggest concern, though, is you know field side versus boundary side. Um, teams typically, on average, run to the boundary side more, and maybe they feel that Brown is better at support there. But yeah, I agree with you both. If if Burbridge is having a day um, from that boundary side, you gotta you gotta flip it if if you think that Fan can slow him down. Well, I get my my concern would be one. I agree, Fant has improved his tackling quite a bit, in my opinion, um, especially the last probably three games, I would say. Uh, but number two, my concern would be, yes, Burbridge is six one. He's a bigger target, so you worry about Fant's size. But uh, IU doesn't have a lot of options that I would say you'd be excited about putting on the field against him that do match up with him physically much better than Fant does. So I'm not, I mean, you know, Tyler Green, we saw him play a little bit. He's the type of guy that you hope evolves into somebody that could match up with a 6'1 receiver like Burbridge and, you know, be able to physically match up with him. But he's not at that point yet. Uh, he is progressing, but he's certainly not there yet. So who are you looking at that, that could do that? I don't, I don't really see a viable option uh, outside of just sticking Fant on him and saying, yeah, we know that you're a bit uh, a bit physically undersized right now, but do your best against their best target and do your best to, to kind of limit him. You're not going to totally shut him down, but, you know, when you're targeted, uh, do what you can to knock it down, which he has done better than most corners in the country. So I, I'm not – do you guys have any, any thoughts on a guy that could be a better physical matchup than Fant, and would it be worth – matching up better physically and taking away some of the matchup you might have in terms of skill. Uh, you're right that Tyler Green is that guy who can be a guy who faces 
a bigger receiver. I think Green is is six two or six three, and you know what you want him to develop into is a, a kind of Antonio Cromartie guy as a bigger corner who's longer, who could jam receivers at at that line of scrimmage and, and go up and make plays and get the ball. But you know they're freshmen and and secondary uh, positions are tough to learn. Um, and maybe even doubling, you might have to double guys with Dutra and, and a combination of Jonathan Crawford, Tony Fields, um, and Jameel Cook. So, you know, don't be afraid to double guys. And, and you know, it, it's going to come back to that defensive line. It, you know, if they don't get pressure on Cook, and, and that's Cook's weakness is when he gets under pressure, his fundamentals fall apart. And when his fundamentals fall apart, his accuracy goes down. Uh, and he, he'll throw interceptions, he'll throw balls in the dirt, he'll throw them high. Um, so, you know, you could have Revis and, and Cromartie out there guarding these two guys, but if you don't get to Connor Cook, he's going to pick anybody apart, um, no matter who's guarding them. So I, I really think that it does shift more now towards the defensive line and these linebackers. And if you have to double one of these guys, if they're going for having a day, then double one of these guys. Yeah, you make a you make a really good point, Sammy, about um, getting to the quarterback. And you know, throughout the season, that's that's been an issue one week, and it's and it's you know looked better the next. And Michigan State is the only team in the Big Ten to allow fewer sacks per game than Indiana. Right now, they've allowed just seven sacks all season through seven games. IU's allowed eight through seven. So that'll that'll be an interesting matchup. Uh, the difference. You know, Michigan State is top five in getting to the quarterback. They average 3.43 sacks per game. Um, I use actually 44th. As we all know, a lot of those sacks came came against Wake Forest. A few of them came against Penn State. So you would like to see a consistent effort out of that front four and, uh, you know, not allow the quarterbacks to pick, pick the uh, young secondary apart. I mean, we've alluded to it all year, and at times they look great. Me and Jerry and Shaw have done a great job at it. Um, Latham's done a really good job at, at uh, collapsing the interior of the uh, offensive line. So if 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 there were ever a weekend that uh, you're going to be up against a stout offensive line, this is it. I mean, during the summer I said this could probably be this team's toughest game because it's on the road. Um, against a top ten team, but you know, like we said, not all the numbers stack up in such a way that you would say, "Yeah, Michigan State's obviously the dominant team here." Because I don't, I don't entirely buy that. So, yeah, you're absolutely correct. And there's some other guys on the defensive line that have to step up. Uh, you know, Ralph Green is somebody we've talked about all uh, preseason that it could be a difference maker, and he's been almost invisible. Uh, at least on the stat sheet. And I know at, at nose guard, it, it's kind of tough to make plays, but he's a guy that you need to get, you know, plug up the run and, and kind of, you're right, when you say collapse the line, you know, draw that double team to free up some linebackers and, and some of these guys coming off the edge. Yeah. Yeah. I The, the pass rush against Rutgers was, it was awful. It was non-existent. I was really disappointed. They got to him uh, either the first or the second series. Jonathan Crawford got a sack, and they didn't get one the rest of the game, as far as I know. It was it was really disappointing to see because Rutgers has a mediocre offensive line that Indiana failed to get advantage of. Now they're going against an elite offensive line, especially if the Allens are back or if the Jacks are back. 
uh, Conklin and Allen. If either one of those are back, the line just gets even better. So, uh, you know, they're going to be challenged uh, all week in practice, I'm sure, to produce better on Saturday. Um, yeah, I think that uh, individuals along that defensive line have played well, um, but it's it's going to have to be a, a game that they play really well as a group. And I, I do think that one of the things that they're going to have to do is in order to help out, you know, their ability to get to the pass rusher and their ability to defend the pass, they're going to have to shut down the run because Michigan State, as you guys said, does not have a typical Michigan State running game. They do have some capable running backs. Um, they've got they've got a couple of guys that you know I, I'd consider um, I consider Madre uh, Madre London. I'd consider him um, uh, good. I would say they have Holmes, who is a, a bigger back. But overall, this is not a running back. Uh, there's not a running back on this roster that's going to strike fear into you, like a Saquon Barkley from Penn State, or an Ezekiel Elliott, or even a uh, um, Paul Martin, or you know, or James from Rutgers. So I, I, I think that there's an opportunity here for Indiana if they can avoid giving up those big runs that are brought about by busted assignments, usually not busted tackles, but busted assignments are what's hurting them in the run game. They've done a really good job of keeping people to usually keeping them to like one or two yard gains. They just have to cut out those big 20 to 30 yard runs that are hurting them right now that are coming about from either it's mental mistakes when the play starts or it's mental mistakes when they line up. Uh, They're just getting in a slightly wrong position and the opposing running back is just hitting that hole and making them pay. It's usually not missed tackles they are causing that. So if they can stop that, cut those big runs out, and hold Michigan State to under four yards to carry, uh, I think you'll feel good about your ability to then pursue the pass, which you know, Michigan State is probably going to aim to have Connor Cook throw somewhere between – I think they'd like to have him throw in like the low to mid-30s attempts-wise. Um he threw it 39 times against Michigan. I think that's a, a bit more than they'd like. But Michigan, obviously, a very stout run defense. Uh, and Connor Cook has only thrown for 300 yards or more uh, two times this season. So, and that, that's come in the past two weeks. So he's he's finding his rhythm. He's played very, uh, I'd say, very smart football for the most part. He's taken care of the ball extremely well, but he hasn't exploded for big yards yet. So. Uh, the potential is there for this defense of IU to rebound a little bit if they can do the things we talked about, pressure the passer a little bit, get into space, force him to throw off of some, you know, some happy feet, not set his feet. If they can contain Aaron Burbridge, force somebody else to beat them, and if they can just limit the running game, don't let that Michigan State running game get on track then you'll, you'll feel pretty good about holding this Michigan State offense. I don't know. I think the target number is probably 35. Is that fair? The passes? No, 35. no. Their yeah, I mean, points 35 or under, I think you'd feel pretty good about your defensive effort. Yeah, if you keep them to 35 and they're not, you know, silly points, it's not like, you know, guys right. – as long as you don't mess up, I think 35 points is a good goal. It's just over 
I I use average I use averaging giving up thirty four point one points per game. Um, so um, you're probably if you hold them to thirty five, I'd like to see it less. I think if you hold them under thirty five, you have a good chance of winning. I just it, it's uh-huh. very tough to score on this Michigan State defense. So you know thirty five would be a decent performance, but I think in order to win, you might need to hold them to twenty eight or less. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, we've not really shown – well, I mean, we've not really had an opportunity to show outside of the Wake Forest game um, what we can do with a full full arsenal um, with with hopefully a completely healthy Nate Sudfeld, and it still remains to be seen what Jordan Howard's going to look like this weekend. Fingers crossed that he'll be able to play. Um, it'll be it would it would be nice to you know like we had alluded to on Monday to have that one two punch of you know ground and pound with with Howard and he's not three yards in a cloud of dust running back don't don't get me wrong there but then you have you have your lightning with uh, with Mike Majette so it'd be interesting to see if how much that would come into play on Saturday if if you could um, I think slow the game down a little bit and allow your your uh, defense a little bit of extra rest. Um, speaking of the defense, I think uh, the last last couple of weeks it's been pretty rough on third down for the for the group. And, and Michigan State comes in as as one of the top um, third down conversion teams in the nation. They're 16th right now, um, converting nearly 47 percent of their attempts on third down. And and I use 86 in the nation at stopping third down attempts. So opponents are converting over 41 percent of their of their uh, third down conversions. Hopefully I didn't totally bog you guys down in numbers where that wasn't followed, where you couldn't follow that at all. But long story short, this defense has to get off the field when it has an opportunity to. Yeah, Yeah, I'll throw in the IU offense has to do a better job on third down as well. It's been miserable the past three weeks, really. The last good, uh, good third down performance they had was against Wake Forest. They started the season pretty well on uh, on third down conversions, but it it has been really bad, and it was awful against Rutgers. Uh, multiple third and shorts that they were unable to pick up. We talked about it on Monday's show. Some ways that you know they could improve on third and short, and they just I mean they have to. They can't afford to number one let Penn State convert over half their third downs, and number two. IU's offense has got to stay on the field and convert on third down. I mean, if they convert at like a 35% clip, they're going to lose on Saturday, and it probably won't be a close game. Well, yeah, they're at they're at 36% 36 on uh, converting third down this year, which is which is 94th best in the nation out of 125 FBS teams. So yeah, that's not uh, that's something that definitely uh, needs to get cleaned up pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that has plagued uh, Kevin Wilson's offenses, you know, since he's been here. It was this inability to sustain drives. Now everybody loves the, you know, the two play drives with the fifty yard touchdown bomb, uh, but you know it, it has been inconsistent. And to fix that consistency, if you could, you know, convert around forty to forty five percent. Although the numbers might, you know, it's, you're talking about five to nine percent better. But if you could get an extra couple first downs, take an extra few minutes off the clock, keep your defense off the field for a few minutes, and really wear down Michigan State's uh, off or Michigan State's defense, and you could do that 
if Jordan Howard comes back and he could get you four, five, six yards of carry and set you up for second and manageable and, and third and short and really move the chains. And, you know, it, it's something that that really goes back to, you know, 2011 was a wash. You, you know, I'm surprised they even converted a, a, a third down conversion with Dusty <laughs> Keel and Ed, Ed Wright Baker. But, you know, <laughs> this is something that, you know, you see on first down, just get four yards. On second down, get three yards instead of trying to go deep. If you could get eight yards on first down, then on second down, maybe you try to go deep. Uh, but I, I use kind of too reliant on the big play. Um, and I hate saying it because, you know, I, I sure, I, I love touchdowns and the offense needs touchdowns. But I sometimes wish that they would just get a first down. Just give me a couple first downs, march down the field, and, and score some points. Well, you you make a good point. Um, this is not exactly related to the, the first downs, but talking about uh, Jordan Howard having an impact on Saturday, and, and I just brought that up. But Michigan State, um, you know, has done a really good job against the run for the most part this year. But uh, one thing that I did note is that, and I need to go back and check this again, but they've only given up um, 100 yards to – or one player's only eclipsed the 100-yard mark against him this year, and it happened to be uh, Markel Jones, who's just just right up the road from Columbus East. He, he's at Purdue, so um, it'll be nice to have Howard, and he'll definitely have his hands full if he does get an opportunity to go against that defensive front that features quite a bit of talent. Yeah, and that's where I think your thunder and lightning, although it's it's like two thunders and and a lightning strike. Um, you know, because if you could go three deep, you can give some of these guys a rest. And and instead of being worn down by the defense, you guys or Indiana can can now wear down uh, defense. So it, it's really it's uh, putting the shoe on the other foot. So hopefully Jordan Howard is back. Um, I don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, they're not. It's going to be another game time decision. He dressed and had his ankles taped uh, this week for warm-ups. Uh, but we'll see. And, uh, you know, if he could go, uh, even if he's not 100%, as long as he could cut and keep himself safe, I think they give him a shot, especially with the bye week coming up uh, next week. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. I, I'm ready to – really ready to see again what this offense can look like with all of its pieces. Um Obviously, last week was was a good offensive performance, and you know they had some more good offensive performances before uh, before Howard went down with his injury. So, yeah, I'm definitely hopeful. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure what else they can do on those third and shorts. You know, we talked some about maybe the occasional quarterback sneak talked about maybe some occasional play action, but I, I just hope to see some creative play calling on third and short uh, in order to, like you said, just sustain drives a little bit better. Um, there's very few things as demoralizing as having a third and one or a third and two get stuffed for a minus two and have to punt uh, and then send your defense back out of the field. So, yeah, I'm – I'm really hopeful Jordan Howard's able to give it a go. If he's not, that just means that the play calling has to get all the more creative. Uh, you guys alluded to the lightning. That's another thing I'm looking forward to see on Friday is, you know, Mike Majette a week after kind of bursting onto the scene, 
how does he get used? And if Jordan Howard plays, obviously the number of opportunities for Majette are probably going to be a little bit less if he doesn't play. Um, you know, you'll you'll probably look at a similar um, similar game plan to what they had against Rutgers. No reason to change the the carry distribution necessarily. It was 15 for Redding, 11 for Majette. Majette also had three passes that he caught. Um, yeah, I want to see him continue to be a part of the game plan, no matter you know whether Howard's healthy or not. Um, it was really fun to watch him. He brings a different gear, uh, accelerates very quickly, gets up to top speed very quickly, and I, I thought that he displayed some good vision as well. So I'm that's not a key to the game or anything, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you know another week of Mike Majette if he. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't continue to be a part of the offense. Yeah, and we're going to talk about keys to the game here in a second. I'll I'll go around and we'll each give our, our key to the game. But uh, you're right, the, the carry distribution, uh, you know, Redding's kind of fallen out of favor. He had a nice game against Rutgers, but, you know, he got shut down against Ohio State and he got shut down against Penn State. Um, so maybe having Majette back there does – give a different look and having Howard back there as well would, would kind of put uh, Redding back in the role where he thrived at the beginning of the year was as that, mm-hmm. um, as that fill in back who, who's good for 10 to 12 carries a game. who could get you 50 to 60 yards and uh, can run between the tackles down at the goal line. Um, all right, we'll get the keys to the game. TJ, what is your uh, key, to, key to the game for IU? Yeah, we we've talked about uh, we talked about quite a bit of this, but for me, I'm going to go with third downs. Um, you know, two of ten last week on third down for Indiana, plus the one of four on fourth down uh, against uh, against Rutgers. Rutgers went twelve of twenty on third down, and they were one of two on fourth down, and that included multiple third down conversions in that fourth quarter. That um, you know, just crushing blows to have. Third and six, oh, that's an eight-yard gain. Third and eight, oh, that's a ten-yard gain. Third and four, or third and two, oh, that's a 40-yard touchdown run. You know, it's just, it was really crushing. And then there were three of 16 against Penn State, only seven of 22 against Ohio State. Um, And then, you know, like we mentioned, Michigan State converts third downs at a very good rate, and they do a pretty good job on defense of getting offenses off the field by shutting them down. It's not an elite defense. Uh, I think that Penn State is significantly better, um, probably not overall talent-wise, but I, I think Penn State uh, a little bit better uh, discipline, a little bit better schematically. But Michigan State, a very good defense, that, that's going to be a test. But in the, uh, uh, heading into that game is going to have much more of a uh, full arsenal of weapons than they did against Penn State. So, I'm just looking forward to seeing that battle on third down and seeing whether or not Indiana's been able to make any corrections this week to to improve on both sides of the ball on third down. Yeah, how about you, Nick? What's uh, what's your key to the game? Well, I mean, a couple. The first one's kind of a no-brainer, but uh, you know, winning the turnover battle is, uh, I believe, of the utmost importance for this team for for multiple reasons. Uh, one, just getting the opposing offense off the field to, uh, you know, being on the road, you need to take the crowd out of the game. 
And uh, I've been up to the Spartan Stadium. I know you've been up to Spartan Stadium, Sammy. They're a loud crowd. They're an excited crowd. Um, they're behind their team 110%. I know that's really cliche, but it's true. They they really buy into into their football program for good reason. When you're when you're playoff bound or playoff contenders, you're going to have that. But you the games that IU has played their best in, they've won. They've won the turnover margin, aside from last week. But, you know, three turnovers in the second half are largely what cost them that game. So first things first is if you don't win the playoff margin, if you don't win the playoff – or I'm sorry, the turnover margin, you at least need to be equal by the end of the game. So that that's number one for me. And then and then um, we've just talked about this defense all night. Um, it's good. It's not great. Um they're ranked 73rd of the nation passing defense, uh, giving up 231 yards per game, um, 7.4 yards per passing play, which is pretty, pretty bad when you look at the teams around them um, in that area of the ranking. So, if if IU can get their, we want to get the running game established. There's no doubt. But if we can get the passing game going, I mean, last week we had three wide receivers over 100 yards. I don't remember the last time that happened. I would assume it's probably when, like, Doss, maybe Belcher and Turner were on the team back in 2010 or nine, possibly, with Chapel at quarterback. I don't know that for certain. But reducing redu- reducing drops and getting the passing game going, um, I think, are pretty huge keys to this game because Michigan is susceptible through the air. Yeah, and you're both correct. You know, those are those are three – or two two keys to the game that that I'll likely put in uh, my keys to the game. You know, third downs; those are momentum changing downs. Um, you know, they're money downs, as, as coaches will say. And Nick, that crowd at Michigan State—that's it's an electric atmosphere. They're right on top of you. Uh, it, it should be, a, a, if not sold out, a, a close to a sold out crowd. It's a three thirty game. Um, it, it's an important game, so. You know, get not dropping balls, converting on third down. Don't give them a reason to cheer. So that that's both of those are spot on. Um, my key to the game uh, kind of combines both of them. Take this crowd out of it early. Uh, I, I think it's a perfect opportunity for IU to go on the road. They leave all the negativity behind uh, in Bloomington. You have to have the us against the world mentality. Uh, only you know, only the guys in that room believe that that, that they could win, that they're going to get six wins uh, and, and go to a bowl game, and that's the attitude that they have to take the rest of the season. Um, you know, and, and it's a perfect time instead of playing at home in front of twenty thousand people who are who are just waiting for a reason to boo them off the field. You're going on the road. You take the mentality of hey, it's it's these however many, 75 guys on the trip, 50 guys on the trip, it's us. And that's all that matters. So it, it's us, the coaches, um, you know, and the small amount of family and friends in the stands. That it, It's us. This is what we're going to war with and, you know, to hell with everybody else. So that's the mentality IU has to take into this. I think that's the key to the game uh, for me, including uh, your your guys' two, uh, two keys. I think if they do all of those things, and play angry football, they might come out and really shock everybody. Yeah, yeah I don't see any, anything's possible. Anything's possible. I don't see any reason why not. I mean, yeah, last week was tough. 
Um, obviously, Penn State was not a great look, but like we said, everyone knows you're playing two men down. And then Ohio State, you were you were a play away from at least tying that game, if not winning that game. So you know the the old saying, you know, you're three plays away from from being six and one, and I'm sure the reverse can be used. You're five plays away from being one and one and six at this point. But the point, the the big point is that this team's clearly talented. Uh, there's no issue there. It's it's going to be. Uh, first and foremost, just getting out of their own way, minimizing mistakes, minimizing um, inopportune uh, time for penalties, uh, minimizing um, you know turnovers, which weren't an issue until Rutgers. Until about a there's about a 10 minute span where the wheels came off. Um, so you know don't don't shoot yourself in the foot because this is as as talented team as Wilson's had, and any prior coach for that matter that I've that I've seen in probably the last 15 years. Yeah, you're right. It's going to have to be a perfect game uh, in a sense. Yeah, you can make a few mistakes. Uh, just because that's the nature of football, you're going to mess up one or two times. Um, but, yeah, this is – look, the season's on the on a brink right now. And sorry to steal a corny corny IU basketball uh, title there, but it – it's going over the edge and people are, you know, we've all read the comments on the site. People are done um, and they're fed up. And, you know, it's not, this win's not going to be a program changing win. Uh, It's, you know, it's your fifth win and and we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, Guys, there are some uh, good matchups in the big 10 this week. Uh, I believe there are four or five other games. Uh, Let's touch upon those real quick. Um, TJ, let's start with Ohio State at Rutgers. Uh, what do you see uh, from the Buckeyes? You know, they're changing a, a quarterback. Is this kind of a, a trap game for them? I don't think so. I, I think that uh, I, I really think it's high time for JT Barrett to take over as a starter. Um, you know, I've seen a, a lot of Ohio State this season studying for this uh, for the Big Ten viewing guide and for the Big Ten recap and uh, and just as a, a fan of college football, um, every time that JT Barrett comes in the game, their offense looks just crisper to me, uh, looks to be operating a little bit higher tempo. This is not to criticize Cardell Jones. I think he's a very good player. I think that JT Barrett is a better fit for the Ohio State offense, especially uh, with the amount of well, they've got some injuries at, at wide receiver, and they also have some guys that just aren't quite clicking at wide receiver. I don't know if it's timing. I don't know if it's just a, a different role for them. But they've got some guys that just haven't clicked at wide receiver. It's certainly not a lack of talent. they got plenty of that there. But I think this, this team is at its best when they are running the football uh, 75 to 80% of the time. Um, and I think that having JT Barrett plus Ezekiel Elliott as that kind of uh, running back quarterback duo to run that zone read, run the inside zone plays, um, and then also JT Barrett's ability to beat you when things break down in the pocket, uh, you know, I, I really think that it's it's best for them. Um, they are three touchdown favorites on the road at Rutgers, a team that we saw uh, firsthand last week. Kudos to them for winning. They did what they what they could to to take the game that IU, you know, 
somewhat handed to them and somewhat they took. Um, I I don't know the status of Leonte Carew, but if he doesn't play, uh, Rutgers' best hope is to, uh, well, just run the football with uh, with Martin and James and Hicks. Um, but Ohio State's got a really good run defense. So I, I just think it's a poor matchup for Rutgers. I, I think Ohio State's going to roll. And I, I really think that they are going to hit their stride here uh, with J.T. Barrett as quarterback now. Yeah, um, it, it'll sure be an interesting dynamic. We'll see if Cardell, you know, one of the things Urban said today is that, you know, Cardell has to stay um, stay into it and stay engaged in the in the uh, program in the game and can't get too down on himself. Um, next up, uh, we're going to go ahead out to Lincoln, Nebraska, Northwestern, who's kind of hit the skids here. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see if they could rebound a, uh, against the Nebraska team who's trying to find their footing and, and maybe get back into this uh, Big Ten West race. Yeah, Nebraska still has a chance, an outside chance, a very outside chance in the West. Um, just because they have not played the leaders uh, at the Iowa Hawkeyes yet, so they they do still have a little bit of a chance. They're they're three and four, one and two in the Big Ten. Uh, Nebraska, or I'm sorry, Northwestern, five and two. They've lost two in a row now. Um, yeah, and the defense really has been hammered in back-to-back weeks. They give up 38 to Michigan, give up 40 to Iowa. Most of that coming uh, to Iowa's. Uh, backup tailback Akram Wadley. So um, I, I'm not entirely sure what to expect from Northwestern. What I do think is becoming apparent, and I, I kind of saw this uh, even when they started 5-0, and was that their offense uh, is just not capable right now of winning a game for them. Uh, it's got to be the defense that wins the game for the Wildcats. Uh, Clayton Thorson is just not ready to carry that uh, carry that team if the defense has an off day, they have a pretty good running game. They have a very good running back, Justin Jackson, but uh, overall the offense is, is really struggling at the moment. And they should be able to score some points against Nebraska, but uh, run defense is actually something that Nebraska has been fairly decent at this season. Uh, and I, I kind of like the ability of Nebraska to run the ball with Terrell Newby, Imani Cross, uh, Tommy Armstrong, if they integrate him into the running game. You know, the strength of Northwestern's defense is the secondary, and uh, the strength of Nebraska's uh, offense should be their running game and then using play action off of that. So uh, games in Lincoln, you know, the intangibles would tell you it's time for Nebraska to actually get a home win uh, over, a, over a team that, you know, is maybe considered their, their equal right now. So I'm looking forward to – this was the only noon Big Ten game, surprisingly. There's usually four or five on it at the same time at noon, but this is the only noon game, and I'll, I'll be watching it to see whether or not Northwestern can keep what looked like a very promising season together or if uh, or if it really completely falls apart. Yeah, um, that's definitely one of the – it is weird that that's the only noon game. Uh, there are – Three three thirty games and an eight o'clock game, and that's the the Rutgers Ohio State game. Um, uh, TJ and Nick, the next game is another big game in the in the West. Uh, it's Wisconsin, who's five and two, two and one 
Uh, Illinois is four and two, one and one. Illinois is hanging around there, one and one. They're they're uh, in third place right now in the West. Um, this game is being played, I believe, it's at Illinois. It's their homecoming. They're wearing the Gray Ghost uniforms. Um, does Illinois have a chance at bringing this upset? Go ahead, Nick. Uh, you know, they only got beat by uh, nine points by Iowa. Um, playing at home, I say why not. Now, obviously, you guys are a little bit more well-versed in every team in the Big Ten more than I am. Obviously, I spend most of my time studying all the numbers for IU's upcoming opponents, and we don't have Illinois on the schedule this year. But, yeah, I mean, they've looked they've looked strong in games now, okay in games. They barely slipped by Nebraska on a – what it takes six attempts to score a touchdown? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's it's home. Um, Wisconsin's been up and down throughout the season for the most part. I mean, I, yeah, I why not? Yeah, they, they're without Corey Clement uh, running back. They're without Taewon Deal at running back. As a result, uh, they ran for only two point six yards per carry against Purdue. 4.3 yards per carry against Nebraska, 2.5 yards per carry against Iowa. Um, so this this is not the type of Wisconsin team that anyone expected to see. Uh, the offense is being carried by Joel Stave, uh, along with um, you know a couple of short yardage plays by Alec Ingold, who really was not a running uh, similar to Mike Majette in, in terms of he came to Wisconsin at a totally different position. Uh, he was playing linebacker before, and they moved him to running back due to injuries, and he's been able to step up and get some short yardage uh, touchdowns for them. But, um, you know, Stop has been mostly effective through the air. Uh, their defense has been what's been really, really strong. If you look at the S&P Plus rankings, this is actually a battle of two top 25 teams. Wisconsin's 20th and Illinois' 24th. Uh, you know, S&P Plus is certainly not the Bible. Football Outsiders is not the Bible. But there are good tools to, to kind of reference things and put things into perspective uh, and help you, you know, kind of contextualize what you see with your eyes. Uh, you know, I think that for Illinois, it's going to be about getting somebody besides Geronimo Allison into the action. He has been their number one target by far. Uh, if West Lunt can find a few other targets, uh, besides just Allison, who I think the Wisconsin will game plan kind of away from being that effective. So if Illinois can do that and force a couple of mistakes from Stave, then I think they can pull off the upset. But Wisconsin, despite their flaws, I think finds a way to win. Yeah, that'll be an interesting game and really interesting to see if Illinois pulls that off and, and makes it a race uh, with Iowa in the Big Ten West there, what happens with Bill Cubitt. Uh, but yeah. that's another story for another day. Um, finally, the final game, there's only uh, five Big Ten games. Uh, Penn State is uh, playing Maryland. I believe the game is in Baltimore. Um, you know, Penn State would love nothing yeah. better than to go and beat up on a uh, bad Maryland team uh, who came into Happy Valley, uh, refused to shake hands, and, and you know, really – sent a message to Penn State that, hey, we're here, this is a rivalry, and, you know, we're going to be, you know, four-year-olds about it and not shake your hand. <laughs> so I, I think James, there's bad blood between James Franklin and Maryland. 
And I could see, you know, Penn State's a little frustrated after the loss uh, uh, against Ohio State. And they really take out their frustrations on, on, uh, on Maryland and, and show them, hey, we're Penn State and, and, and we're here to, to basically, you know, knock the snot out of you. <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing about that, James Franklin, uh, former coach in waiting at, uh, at Maryland, he left to take the Vanderbilt job. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm not the biggest James Franklin fan, uh, and I know that some others have some major issues with his uh, kind of in-game execution and his, his in-game uh, time management and play management, but uh, I think that Maryland would probably uh, take that as opposed to be looking for uh, another head coach here this coming off season. but uh, plopping down some of that Under Armour money to find somebody. Um, but Penn State, uh, if, if people didn't see their game against Ohio State, um, it, I thought it was much closer than the 38-10 to 10 score would indicate. Um, Penn State had some chances early on to stake themselves to a lead. They were unable to capitalize because, um, well, because their offense just isn't very good. But uh, Saquon Barkley appears to be a special talent. I, I, I chose him preseason as uh, my Big Ten freshman of the year, and I might have actually gotten something right. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, he's he looks awesome. He's averaging 8.3 yards a carry right now, and uh, he torched Ohio State. Uh, I think it was the best rushing performance they've had put on them since Tevin Coleman. Uh, so, yeah, nobody knows what to expect from Maryland. They're coming off of a bye week. They're going to be working with Mike Loxley as their head coach for now. He's not going to be getting that job. I think they might try to keep him on staff because I guess uh, he does a decent job recruiting and, and the players apparently like him. But he's already been a head coach, and it, it was a disaster. So um, I don't really think that Loxley is a candidate for that job. But you never know what's going to happen um, with kind of that first game under an interim head coach. Uh, the players certainly didn't appear to have that much love for Randy Edsel, so maybe they come out playing for Mike Loxley. I, we don't have a clue, but just on on paper, um, I don't expect for Maryland to have much success on offense unless Perry Hills is able to uh, run the ball really well as a quarterback. He did that against Ohio State, had over 100 yards rushing against Ohio State, but I think the Penn State defense plus Saquon Barkley is going to be enough. And who knows, maybe Christian Hackenberg will actually, you know, have a good game. I kind of <laughs> doubt it, but I also kind of doubt that they need it. Well, yeah, speaking of, I was going to say, uh, TJ, speaking of uh, you being spot on about Barkley, I, I can say I took a flyer on Hackenberg as my uh, – Big Ten offensive uh, MVP, and so far, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I had several several wrong as well, but I, and I we're gonna we're gonna run something sometime soon, aren't we, to, to do like an update on how close or bad our predictions were? Yeah, yeah probably we'll do something during that. the during the bye week. Uh, okay. I don't know if we cool. really want to see how bad we've done. But um, you know, we'll we'll take a look back at our preseason picks, our busts, and our sleepers, and <coughs> and our all uh, you know our all Big Ten teams just to see how, how we're doing. 
Um, but yeah, so well, I mean, we all had better than Iowa. others. We all had Iowa, right? All had Iowa seven zero undefeated, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> Just oh, don't yeah, look at my preview teams. from the they, summer. That they were in my, uh, <laughs> my final four. I, yeah. I compared him to Hawkeye on the Avengers, so let's not go back to that. <laughs> well, he might get his own movie, so. It's true. <laughs> um, anyway, guys, um, TJ, I know you got to run. Uh, it's bedtime, and it's also the Colts, or Colts, it's Cubs time. Uh, you know, so good luck to you. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining us uh, as well. It's always great to have uh, the two of you on uh, with me. Uh Enjoy uh, the weekend and watch uh, all the college games you can. Going too fast for me. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Uh, Have a good rest of the week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Go Hoosiers. Yep, thanks for listening. Enjoy Back to the Future Day. Uh, Enjoy the various sports on TV tonight as well. Uh, We'll have all your coverage for the Indiana-Michigan State matchup, the Battle for the Brass Spittoon. Uh, keep checking us out. I know a lot of you have gone on uh, social probation on reading about IU, uh, but, you know, we'll get you through it and uh, hopefully you stick with us uh, through the rest of the season. Uh, thanks, as always, as listening. Uh, we appreciate your viewership, your loyalty, and keep commenting. Some of these comments are great. I love to see the passion. Uh, keep commenting and, uh, you know, just be nice to each other. Other than that, Have a great night, and we'll speak to you on Monday, hopefully uh, with the spittoon in hand. Well, a spittoon in hand, and uh, see you then. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.